And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then, here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. There's no doubt that we're living in a time right now where we can find plenty to disagree about. That there are different, various opinions on various topics um, all around us. And sometimes in, in stressful times like this, it's good for us to stop and think about something that we do have in common. Many TV and entertainment, or TV critics and entertainment reporters would give us one thing that we could share in common, and that is that over the past 20 years, one of the best shows to ever be on television was the show The Office. And if you are on, if you have watched it on Netflix, whether you watched it on NBC when it came on, The Office is one of those go-to cozy comedies now. So when I say cozy comedy, I mean something that you can watch at night and not be stressed about. And a lot of us enjoy the show The Office because We've often seen the episodes before, and we're watching them again and again, and they make us laugh. In 20 to 30 minutes, we can, uh, we, can learn something, we can learn something about office life that many of us have probably experienced and laugh at it. And in times like this, laughter is indeed so important. But recent, and recently, I was listening to a podcast that began offering some special episodes of recapping favorite episodes of The Office. And I was really excited about this, but because I hadn't watched it in so long, I had to watch the episodes along with listening before I listened to the recap of it. And they go, they do a deep dive into these episodes on the podcast. They talk about what's happening in the background of scenes. They're talking about the writing that went into the episode. And I found myself having to pay really close attention to a show that I didn't, well, I was not paying close attention to because I already knew the endings to the series. I knew the endings to so many of the episodes. But, and so it's hard sometimes when, we, when we're already acquainted with a story and we already know the ending that we don't pay attention as well and we miss new insights in the story that we're seeing. Today's story is like that, that Jesus, we hear about from Matthew's Gospel. It's a story that we know, the end, many of us know the ending to. We grew up hearing the story about Jesus feeding a crowd of over 5,000 people. But did you notice something today about the order in which Bob read the story, which is the order that's in the scripture? That is that we don't know in the story, if we're reading it for the first time, we don't know how many people are there until we get to the end. It's in the last verse that we hear, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The, those, of Jesus, those earliest believers, earliest followers of Jesus, when they are hearing this story for the first time, likely there was a gasp in the room or in the rooms where they were because they didn't know how many were in that crowd. We all have a different opinion probably of what a crowd looks like. Fellow introverts out there, an idea of a crowd for you is four to five people. Others of us, it's maybe a hundred people. Others of us, we may not consider a group a crowd until it's big enough to fill a stadium or an arena. We all have different ideas of what a crowd looks like. 
But what we do know, what we can't, what we do share in common is that in this particular story, we don't know just how many are there until the very end of it. This is another reality, though, as we think about the crowds that are gathering. If you look again in verse, thir- in, in verse 13 and 14, we hear that Jesus withdraws in a boat to a deserted place. The crowds hear it. They follow him on foot. Then notice what happens in verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. All these little crowds had come together, and they had made one big crowd that had followed after Jesus. And here's a reality that we have to face, friends, as we, look at this, as we look at the crowd in the story today. It is really easy for us, and especially in, in stressful times, to be quick to judge and to name and to label and judge the crowd. We give them an identity based on the group, and we disregard them as a whole. Sometimes, just like in the story, the crowds get so big that we forget and we overlook the individuals who are in there. In listening to the recap, uh, these recent recaps of the episodes of The Office, The Office had a very large cast. And a lot of times it became so that there were so many of them that you forgot about the individual characters in there. And that's what we do in life also. That's what we do when we see a group of people who might believe differently from, we, from our political beliefs. Or we see a group of people that, is, that we consider different from us. We label them as a crowd. And we, and we put them in a box of generalization without seeing the, with, and overlook in the process the individual worth of each and every one. Not intentionally, not always, not with ill will in our hearts. It's just something we do as human beings. But what, and we do, what we do when we label and we judge is the opposite of what Jesus does in this passage. And you know, anytime we find ourselves doing the opposite of what we see Jesus doing in the scripture, that is usually a good time to stop and, and just say, Lord, how can I be more like Jesus? How can I follow after him? Look what Jesus does that we so often don't do in verse 14. He went ashore, he sees a great crowd, and he has compassion for them, and he cures their sick. How does he cure their sick? We don't get the details of how he does that, but most likely it's the way we see Jesus heal in the other passages of Scripture. It's very individual. It's very focused. It's very personal. In the midst of this great crowd, this great cast of characters, Jesus zeroes in on those who need healing. He spends time with them. He meets with them. He hears their needs. He heals them. He makes them whole. And when we, what we see happening here is that Jesus does not label them. He does, he does not ask them for their identity, for their, for their driver's license or any kind of identification. He doesn't, ask them, uh, he doesn't ask them personal questions about their lives. All we know is that Jesus heals them. He sees a need, he has compassion, and he takes care of them. Here's the thing, though, that we can easily overlook about Jesus in these circumstances. We could easily look at this and say, well, of course he does that. He's Jesus. He's God. He's got the power to do that. But here's something so important, friends. We often are quick to judge when we are stressed. When our minds are overloaded and overwhelmed, we easily disregard other people. We easily judge others. We easily generalize people into the crowds. And the thing is, Jesus was overwhelmed, overloaded, and stressed in this very moment also. Yes, he was fully God, 
But Jesus was also fully human. And let me recap for you just a moment what he had been through leading up to this moment. First, he had been teaching. He had been well. His teaching had been well received. He had been healing the sick. He had been traveling through through various towns. And then he gets to his hometown of Nazareth in the beginning of uh, at the end of chapter 13, beginning of chapter 14 of Matthew's gospel. And when he gets home to Nazareth, he's with these people that he grew up with. He's with these people who know him the best. And he's teaching. And he's healing. And he's speaking with them. And they outright reject him. They outright say, we don't believe you. We don't, well, we don't follow you. You're Joseph's son. You're the brother of so-and-so and so-and-so. They call his brother's names. They call his sister's names. They name who, who he is and they say, we can't take what, what you say seriously. Jesus is emotionally and socially rejected by those who thought knew him the best. So he's dealing with the rejection. And then he goes on to find out from his disciples who come to him in this low moment of rejection, and they tell him that his, that his beloved friend and his relative, John the Baptist, had been executed. Jesus is sitting here in a place of not just rejection now, but profound grief and most likely profound exhaustion. Because if you've got stress and you've got grief and you've got rejection, you are exhausted. So he does at the beginning of this passage what any of us want to do. Hasn't everybody, you can raise your hand wherever you are over the past few months, said the words, I am so tired. I am so exhausted. I am worn out. Well then friends, this is the passage for you today. Because what we see, it's a passage for all of us today. Because Jesus is in that same place when he gets in the boat and he crosses over, and instead of seeing that little nook, that little cranny in the mountaintop where he can just go be alone with his father and cry and speak and pray to his God and his father, instead he is met with people who are desperate for what he has to give. And Jesus, in that moment, in that moment, not only heals the sick, but in that next moment the disciples come to him in verse 15, and they say, Lord, it's getting late. The, send these people away. Send these crowds away. There's the generalization again. So that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Let's, get, take, let's take a moment here and remember something, friends. The disciples are just as exhausted as Jesus is. They are concerned about him, most likely. They loved John the Baptist, too. They've experienced the rejection with him. They have been in this, they're in this same place of exhaustion, and they have a solution. They say, Jesus, let's just be done with this. Send them away. You've healed them. You've, done, uh, you've gone above and beyond what you need to do. You're overloaded. You're overworked. You're overstressed. Let's just call this a day and send them home. But Jesus does the thing that we least want to do, but we most need to do when we are overloaded, when we are overwhelmed. Jesus looks around him, and he meets the needs that are in front of him. In verse 16, he says, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. He did not become overcrowded because he was moved deeply to meet the needs of the crowd. In the midst of his suffering, Jesus saw the suffering of others. And he said, 
I can do something about this. And he looks at the disciples and said, and you can do something about this. Rest is very important. Yes, that actually happens right after this passage ends. We see Jesus in a beautiful example of getting the rest that his body and his soul needs. But right here, he sees beyond the crowd to individual hearts that are in need of something that only he can give. And the disciples are still focused on the negative. They say, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them to me. And here is where I want us to wrap this up as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. We see in the midst of the overcrowded, overwhelmed, overloaded mind that Jesus is experiencing, that he stops and he breaks bread and he gives thanks. He gives thanks. Did you hear what he says in verse 19 or what Matthew tells us? He takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looks up to heaven. He blesses, or also it's translated, gives thanks, breaks the loaves, gives them to the disciples, and the disciples give them to the crowds. In the midst, friends, of our minds being overloaded and overwhelmed with the cares of our families, the cares of our community, the cares of the world, in the midst of all of that, sometimes one of the hardest things for us to do is to stop and to give thanks. But Jesus gives us an example here of the transformative power of thanksgiving. Because you see, in reaching out to those who are sick, he's telling them, I'm thankful for you. In healing the sick, he's saying, I'm thankful for you. In providing food for them, he is saying, I give thanks for you. And then we see in this passage how he looks up to his father. And likely, don't you know, Jesus was thinking, God, Father God, can't I get a nap in the midst of this day? Can't I get some rest? But he doesn't pray that. Instead, he looks up and he says, Lord, thank you for this meal. Thank you for this food. Thank you for these people. And then he instructs the disciples on how to feed them. And he provides for us a perfect example of how we can respond to the overwhelmed, overloaded feelings that our minds often go through. And that is to fix our minds with thanksgiving upon heaven to look up and beyond what we can see in the stress of the crowded moment and to see clearly before us the individuals who are in need of the bread and of life that we have to give. You see, on the TV show like The Office, it's easy for all those characters to blend together sometimes, even though they're individual, even though they each have some, some lines in the show. It's easy to overlook so much of what each one has to contribute as an individual unless we slow down and we pay attention to what each one is saying. Jesus today sets an example for us of someone who in the middle of the crowd sees the individuals and in the middle of his overcrowded, overwhelmed day stops to give thanks, to bless others, and in doing so, many are fed, many are changed, and I have no doubt that there are many in, among that 5,000 plus who were early followers of Jesus and early founders of the church that we are now a part of today. This week, as our, our, this is our final week in this series on setting our mind on things above. And we will be providing with you, for you on social media opportunities for gratitude, practices in thanksgiving and gratitude. We're going to conclude this series with thanksgiving. Friends, there is great power in complaining. 
There is negative power in complaining. And there is the opposite great power that happens when we choose to give thanks, when we choose to give praise, and we choose God's way, which is praise and thanksgiving, over the enemy's way, which is complaint. And so I encourage you to tune in this week to engage in these practices and the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will dwell in you and his mind will be given to you as we see each other, not as a crowd, but as those individuals made in the image of God. Let us be transformed by the power of sharing the meal that was set by our Lord that he continues to set for us today of his body and his blood that we will now share in in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.